You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. Well, this is of the Apple Insider Podcast. Forgive us here in the field. Dan, you're in Brooklyn. Yes. Actually, I'm in Manhattan right now, but yes, the event was in Brooklyn. <laughs> okay. This, this was kind of a big event, wasn't it? It was a big event. I, it was a lot of things that Apple, a lot, that people have kind of been wanting from Apple. Uh, some clarification on the, the MacBook Air, the Mac Mini, and what, what the next step is for iPad Pro. And there were some huge things that happened there. So I should tell people, you're using your Lightning headphones right now to try and record this, right? Yes. And I was thinking about that before we started recording because headphones are kind of an issue, aren't they? How do you mean? I mean, I was thinking about this in terms of headphone port going away from iPhone, and now it looks like also going away from the iPad Pro. Yeah, Apple has been working towards uh, making everything wireless. The idea is that you could use your AirPods, uh, which which I have. I think it would probably be better our audio quality to use wired headphones. So that's why I'm using those. Yeah, but I think so too. It is a, but... it is a complication to have uh, headphones that are exclusively usable with Lightning, the ones that ship with the new iPhones. Right, and that's going to be complicated slightly further if you're using the new iPad Pro because it's not using Lightning, is it? Right. I would imagine it would support USB-C headphones or, yeah. Yeah, but a- Apple doesn't make any USB-C headphones yet. Well, right. So. <laughs> guess they're imagining a world where everybody has AirPods. I guess they must be. Never mind my focus on the headphone jack, which is a little silly, I agree. Go ahead and, and take me through the highlights of the event as you saw them, because you were there. Uh, the, well, the first thing they did was introduce the Mac, and the 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 two products that came out there with the MacBook Air, which I was kind of surprised. I thought the MacBook Air was just sort of put on ice, and Apple's answer to it was the new Retina MacBooks, which were light, so like super light and thin. And, and the whole point of the Air was to be light without necessarily having the same kind of performance you would get from a Pro. So back in the day when there was just Pro and Air, the idea was that the Air was the super lightest Air version that you could put in an envelope, as you know Steve Jobs dramatically unveiled. And the Pro was for people who are wanting to do something that the Air didn't really have the horsepower to do. And when they came with the Retina MacBooks, which was, uh, what, 2012, if my memory serves right, uh, that was the new solution for a super light, thin notebook, the pair of Retina MacBooks that came out. Uh, well, the, the first machines to, to launch were the, they called it the MacBook. And rather than being the cheap MacBook, the, 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 you know, the MacBook name used to mean the, the entry-level plastic uh, laptop. They introduced it as the MacBook, and it was you know, colloquially known as the Retina MacBook because it had a Retina display. And those machines were, were focused on being light and small. They actually had the one that was, that was very small. And then when the Pros came out, they, were, they used a similar kind of design, but were focused on being big enough to have faster processing. So what they're doing now with the Air, with the new MacBook Air, is kind of a middle uh, tier product that is light and thin. It, it, it almost feels identical to the, the existing MacBook Air, but it has a retina display and it has some uh, connectivity that only the pros have, notably the USB-C with support for Thunderbolt, which the, the light, thin uh, MacBook or retina MacBooks don't have. They just had USB-C. Yeah, so and they also get a whole lot of support for peripherals that, that the uh, 12-inch MacBook couldn't support, like 5K displays. Right. I believe that's 
I guess it's DisplayPort, but the 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 reason why one of the reasons why Apple said that the that uh, Thunderbolt requires uh, why it wasn't on the the Retina MacBooks, the earlier machines, was because they have a lower voltage in, in design inside. And so with MacBook Air, they not only put in a Retina display and gave it more horsepower to drive all those extra pixels, gave it faster processors, uh, more RAM, and then also faster connectivity, so that you can plug in the similar kind of uh, display options that you have on a pro model. So it's kind of a middle middle tier between the Retina MacBooks and the MacBook Pro. Yeah, and, and that, I guess I, I agreed with you. It sort of seems strange because the uh, the 13-inch MacBook Pro had gotten so thin that there was almost no, and, and so lightweight, it didn't seem like it was necessarily required, right? Yeah, I'm not sure what if, if all of them are going to continue or if they're going to phase that. Out. I'm a longtime fan of the MacBook Air. I, you know, I used to use the 11-inch model for years, and being able to have something with portability and that kind of horsepower is is a big mover for me. And I think it must be for all the other fans that they cited when the presentation. Yeah, the you know I've had a MacBook Pro too. I, I still have been using it. Um, it's kind of a backup. It's now to the point where it can't. It's from 2011, I believe. It doesn't run Mojave. Um, so that's had quite a long run of use. Uh, it's almost a decade old, but uh, it's it wasn't really known as a fast machine. It was is a very portable machine, and that's one of the criticisms that Apple's kind of general direction in notebooks has been with the Mac is why is Apple making everything light and thin? We want it to be powerful and have lots of RAM. And when I talk to people, when I talk to people who actually do work, obviously everybody wants things to be fast and have lots of RAM. But one of the main considerations that people who actually work on on a mobile computer need is especially if they're over you know 30 is you don't want it, your neck to hurt when you're carrying it around portability is extremely important having it light and thin makes a huge difference in how much you can carry something around and um i've i've traveled extensively with a lot of machines including the one of that was that huge 17 inch macbook from back in the day and it, it just makes such a huge difference to have a light thin machine so that's you know Apple's decisions are largely based on what sells. They're not just like throwing things at a dartboard or, or just, you know, picking things out like a <laughs> crazy queen. They are uh, choosing to sell things that people want to buy. Yeah. And, and the MacBook Air was never the lowest power machine. It was uh, always shipped with a Core i5 or a Core i7 that you could upgrade. Right. It had um, more power. I mean, it wasn't a, a low-end machine when it first came out. It was actually a fancy machine when it first came out. And... Then as they introduced new machines, it sort of kind of fell into this tier of being sort of the, the cheapest notebook option. Um, and despite all the upgrades, it's still relatively uh, inexpensive. I was thinking that they were going to raise the price more than they did, but um, it does have options that it starts to get expensive. Yeah, well, it originally debuted in like 2008, 2009. It was... Um and a very expensive machine. It was uh, one thousand six hundred ninety nine dollars, one thousand eight hundred ninety nine dollars. That kind of ballpark. And in its second generation was when it finally came down in price to being something closer to the, uh, you know, the eleven ninety nine, twelve ninety nine range. And the, a big part of that was the the all new architecture of being all SSD, which had started out being extremely expensive. It's it's still quite expensive, um, but it's that the prices of solid state memory as opposed to a, a mechanical hard drive. Uh, has radically come down. Yeah, so much so that pretty much every product today was an SSD product. Right, and and it's almost difficult to boot a Mac off of a hard drive anymore. Once you get used to it, a fast machine, it's quite difficult to go back to the day when you 
everything from launching to opening up a file browser or anything, it just takes a long time. <laughs> it seems <laughs> to take a long time, you know. Yeah, we've become spoiled, haven't we? Right. I mean, that's what technology does is it constantly kind of spoils us. But Well, so tell me about the other Mac, the one that I've been waiting for for so many years. That'd be the Mac Mini. I love the Mac Mini. And and I remember when it was first introduced as a G4 Mac Mini. And the the point was that you could bring your own keyboard, video, and mouse and have the most affordable Mac ever. That's That's how it seemed to start life. It's changed a little bit since then. Right. That was the phrase that Steve Jobs uses, the BYOKDM, bring your own keyboard. And the idea was, I mean, the way it was pitched when it first came out was that there's all these PCs out there. How are we going to get people to move from a PC to a mouse? We'll make it easy by just having a box that you throw in place of the PC and your USB keyboard and, and various devices will just plug into it. And now you have a Mac. And there are people that that appealed to, but it wasn't a barn burner. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge product that moved Macs on a tremendous scale. And I think there's similarities between that and the XServe that Apple is saying, hey, you have rack-mounted servers, replace them with a rack-mounted Mac. That Neither of those initiatives worked very well. And what really made change things for the Macintosh, um, outside of just having the, the fans that loved Macs and uh, people that chose Macs for other reasons, was the iPhone, of course. And once once the iPhone made its way into enterprise, then you had companies starting to look at the, the Mac and companies. And that's been what's really helped push things, not only enterprise adoption, but also people being familiar with the iPhone and saying, this is such a great product. My next computer is also going to be from Apple. So I think iOS really drove expansion of Macs in the way that the BYOKDM thing didn't. However, there are people that have liked the idea of a Mac, both for having kind of just a simple computer setup. And also one of the things that they showed, one of the things that, that Cook, Tim Cook showed during the presentation was that there's these companies that run server farms of Macs. And that's always seemed kind of like somewhat impractical to me, but it apparently works well, especially for people that, you know, need to host Mac software or a service. The other thing that Apple showed at the event, they put a lot of emphasis on it with the iMacs in the hands-on area was not just showing, you know, here's something that people can use as a computer, but showing a stack of them with, they now have faster connectivity options. You can buy it with 10 gigabit ethernet, which when you put that on a network, you have uh, the ability to offload tasks, whether you're a developer running Xcode or a videographer running Final Cut or a musician running Logic, you can basically um, identify a series of tasks and offload them to computers on your network. And they can be, uh, working on those tasks, whether it's compiling code or um, transcoding video or whatever, you can go back to doing what, what you're doing on your computer and you're offloading it to uh, these other hosts. So that's one of the kind of interesting applications that they portrayed for the Mac Mini as opposed to being something that everyone's going to go out and just swap out their PC for. Right. This, and this it's, it's not just offloading t one task to one Mac Mini, for example. It's that they can act in concert. So you can have multiple machines working on rendering something or multiple machines working on building an application and compiling it or on uh, compressing and transcoding video using all of the processors across all of the Mac minis. Right. And, and 10 gigabit ethernet is required for that because networking and storage are, are basically the two bottlenecks. And with SSD, one bottleneck goes away. So networking is the last one. 
And the options, so if you, if you want to get those options, if you want to get a fast SSD or a larger SSD, if you want to get 10 gigabit Ethernet and, uh, you know, a fast processor, those are all things you have to buy when you buy a machine because none of those things are upgradable. The one thing that is upgradable is RAM. It has RAM cards that I, I believe none of the recent Mac minis had that, isn't it? For the longest time. I guess even the Mac, the iMacs, and of course the the new notebooks and stuff, but it's just getting so thin that they've made it. Yeah, the RAM is fine with the RAM that you want. Yeah, you, you simply have no. You'd have to change the enclosure and make it fat to give it a door to open it. Right. Where the Mac Mini is big enough to where that works. Yeah. Um, it also has Thunderbolt ports on it. It has four USB C and then it has a couple uh, USB A, USB three, but the older connector. So you can plug a lot of things into it. Um, and it, it's also the only Mac that has an HDMI port. So in addition to being able to use a dongle, you can plug an HDMI cable. You can plug a display directly into HDMI. But even with connectors like that, where the shell is a legacy shape, they've gone ahead and used the newer standard. So that's an HDMI 2 port, which means that it's got like twice the bandwidth that the old HDMI 1 port had. Yeah. This is This is a machine that... It took a long while for them to get around to updating, and I kind of feel like they've positioned it with all of the newest things, so that they can leave it for a good long while again. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if. Yeah, certainly they they brought as much new stuff to it as possible. There's been some criticism about USB C and you know the growing pains when you switch from one port type to another, and you know the fact that you your legacy stuff has to have dongles. How do you plug in all this USB stuff that has you know the original USB square or you know rectangular port into right, this new the, one. the the A connector. Uh, but I think Apple's the way that they're rolling out USB C is about as best as you can. I mean, I think some of the criticism is why is why why aren't they putting USB A ports on things as well so you can plug whatever. But you know, on thin laptops and and smaller, you know, if you're trying to make devices as small as possible, that's not ideal. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big compromise, and it's harder for me to see the the downside to saying here's a, a pretty inexpensive dongle that plugs in your stuff. Right. So, I mean, well, and you get to a point where the size of the port dictates the size of the machine. And if, if you want to be able to make things thinner, you have to remove that constraint. Right. And with the Mac mini, it's big enough to where, you know, you not only have upgradable Ram that is pretty easy to access. You also have room for, not only different kinds of ports, but multiple ports. So it has, like I said, four Thunderbolt-capable USB-C ports and a couple USB-A ports for convenience, I guess, and then also HDMI and actually networking. Now, the USB-C thing is interesting to me because, like you said, the iPad Pro, which is is really the star of the show today, I think, um, has gone to USB-C. Yeah, that was an interesting development. I mean, we heard that a lot that that was going to be happening. And it kind of raises the question of, does that mean that, that um, lightning is going away? And I don't really think it does because what really is what you could, one way to look at it is that the iPad pro is really working itself up into computer territory. Apple says it's not a computer, but um, well, the, but do the, they, the difference. They, Cause they, they positioned it in the keynote as being faster than 92% of the laptops that are sold today. And they ran the advertisement during the last year that that started out with the text, what is a computer? Or finished with the text, what is a computer, right? 
So they, they kind of, they're not shying away from positioning this as a computer, right? Well, I mean, of course it's a computer. I mean, AirPods are a computer, but the thing is, um, they, the, the controversial thing is they kind of say that it's not a computer or, or they, they kind of suggest that it's, you know, I mean, it, it runs real Photoshop post, as they told us. Post PC. Yeah. The, the idea is not whether it's, it's a, a legitimate computer or not, but what I meant was, um, the fact is that it's getting powerful enough to where the original iPad was as a product, uh, was considered more of a, um, it was certainly a computer, but it, it was considered more of a, an access device. Mm-hmm. And it made sense that as an iOS device, it worked just like an iPhone where you'd plug it into iTunes from lightning. Right. And it, it was, it was a client device to the host computer. Exactly. And now that it's becoming, you know, basically more of a, an alternative computer type device, um, it makes sense for it to have a host type connector. And one of the things that they noted was that you could use that as a, it, it charges out. So you can plug a, your iPhone into your thing and charge it. Right. And maybe you don't need to plug it anymore. I mean, the original iPad Pro came with the Apple Pencil that you pull off the cap and it had a lightning connector that you plugged into it. And so they removed that as necessary thing by making the new Apple Pencil only work with inductive charging. And it also, um, it uses that inductive charging connectivity to also pair the device. So as, as soon as you click it on there, it pairs with it and starts charging it, which is really quite novel. Nobody, um, everything I'd heard about it was that the inductive charging requires a bigger coil to work. So at least for well, two charging, I think. It, it, so they may be doing it depends probably a little bit, special right? for that. I mean, it depends a little bit upon the amount of power draw you need. You know, if you're trying to charge a phone and, and trying to charge it quickly, you need to have a big coil. If you're trying to charge the pencil, you know, like your cordless toothbrush, it, it doesn't take quite as much. Right. Still impressive to me that they packed it into, what, 5.9 millimeters? Yeah, it's a, a small device that's it's, uh, handy for – it felt it, – feels like a little bit small and there's like a one flat side on it where it clicks on. So it kind of, kind of feels more like a pencil when you're holding it. And then also has the, the bump sensitivity. So when you tap it, you can do a double tap on the writing end of it. And by default that changes between the drawing tool and the eraser, but apps can also use that gesture to do other things. Um, some of the apps, for example, you, you could dab, double tap it and it would pull up a menu on the screen of, things you can do so that's something that on a individual app basis apps can choose how to take advantage of that now why i, I want to come back to this why do you think that the iphone is going to stay on lightning why isn't this signaling a bigger transition that's going to come well the the primary use case of USB-C on the ipad pro is you know charging is kind of a secondary thing being able to charge on the device but uh, is being able to have the bandwidth to uh, power an external display. Whereas on an iPhone, it, it's not really the case. Samsung and a couple of the companies are trying to, you know, you know, remember back to like 2010 and Motorola came out with the Asterix phone that you plug it into a base and it would become a computer. And then Microsoft, several years later, was going to try to make Windows yeah, Phone into this e- computer. every one of them has had a play. And no, no one has ever wanted to buy that. Right. It seems like, you know, let's have a computer in your pocket that you plug in and, you know, becomes basically a Mac mini. Um, no one's doing that. I mean, no one's wanting to buy that. It's not a solution. A phone isn't really fast enough. I don't think, um, it's a different thing from a Mac 
for my iPad Pro. And there may be a time when Apple transitions. And, you know, it might make sense after, you know, a few years, you might see that there's kind of this transition happening to where new phones go to USB-C. That's possible. But um, the the main benefits to USB-C on an iOS device would be an external display. Right. Because and you don't plug it into a computer anymore to sync all your stuff over. It's well, doing with, everything directly. True. But, you know, with the phone, with the iPhone, I've always bought the HDMI adapter that they sell for the thing. I've okay. always had the, the adapter so that I could present or display from the iPhone. And uh, it does generally work better than AirPlay. I mean, Air, AirPlay is great when it works, but there's complication if you're trying to use somebody else's Wi-Fi and can be yeah. delays. Yeah, it's not always the most stable. And and it simplifies the amount of cables and ports that they, they have to fool with because the USB-C cable has a USB-C connector on both ends. So you don't have to worry about which end to, to plug in where. And you don't have to worry about orientation the same way you don't have to worry about orientation with lightning. So it would simplify a bunch if they did move all of the devices over to it. I mean, the other benefits to USB-C that you see on a Macintosh are that it's fast for plugging into a hard drive, but iOS devices don't really support a file system on a hard drive like that. And uh, the other advantages back in the day when we used to sync all your stuff to a computer, then it would have been useful for that, but we don't really do that anymore. Um, when you're setting up something new, it's, it's generally downloading it directly. Right. I and mean, we do connect SD cards to iPhones or, or to iPads, for example, to pull photos off of them or connect them to cameras. And I have flash drives that have lightning connectors on them so that I can use them with, with uh, iOS. So I, I kind of felt like with the Files app from Apple, we were sort of heading towards a future where iOS had a file system and could handle things like that. Yeah, I'm not sure if wireless will be uh, a, an option uh, as things get better um, or if we'll have another generation of connectors that if basically if uh, lightning needs to be replaced before wireless becomes an option. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the hands-on area because you actually got to go hands-on with these devices. Yeah. So they had the, the actual event in a theater next to the Apple store. And then in a separate building, um, there's a big tower on the corner that has a kind of a grand lobby that they built out a, a hands-on area in. And so they had a, a bigger, longer table than usual. Um, sometimes you go to the hands-on, it's just really difficult to get your hands on anything. Uh, but they had tons of people in there. They had a lot of knowledgeable, knowledgeable people answering questions and a lot of equipment to look at and get a sense of and um, take pictures of. Did they have external displays connected to any of the iPad Pros? Yeah. So they showed not only external display and how it works. Under iOS, it works different than on a Mac. Um, so you can either mirror the display, which shows the, the iPad Pro, depending on the resolution of the screen, it shows it kind of centered in the middle with the area around it uh, when you have it mirrored, depending on, like I said, the resolution. You know, yeah, if you so if you have a 4K display, your, your, your iPad is going to be floating in the middle of that. Right. And when you... Um, when you're in a specific app, for example, in addition to mirroring, apps can choose what to put out. It's similar. It's kind of similar to AirPlay, where the application is deciding what to put out there. It doesn't have to put out right exactly as a secondary screen. display, right? Right. So on the Mac, when you put, plug in a monitor, you get like a second. You get an expansion of your desktop, and that's not really how iOS works. So, for example, uh, one of the examples I showed was iMovie. So when you're editing your iMovie, you can have on your display a bigger 
version of what you're seeing on the iPad screen, or you can go into the sort of external monitor mode where it's showing you the actual video that you're editing. So you can see in real time what it's what it looks like. Instead right, so of, you have your editing tools on the iPad and right. the preview area on the display. Right. And other applications can choose to do the same kind of thing of like putting whatever on an external display that makes sense. And if you're playing, if you're in photos, for example, and you are playing a full quality, you know, 4K video, it plays on the screen in full resolution over USB-C. I mean, it's using DisplayPort over USB-C. It's kind of wild that it has enough horsepower to do that, though, because a 4K display is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, they they put pretty beefy um, GPUs on it. I mean, it's it's their internal GPU in the the X version of the you know used in the iPad Pros, the X version of the A chips that Apple's been developing. So the right. A12 Bionic X, I guess A12 yeah. X Bionic. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that. Uh, they showed was you can plug in a camera into the into the device like a, the camera kit, but the camera can also plug into the hub on the display, and you can also be charging your phone, whatever. But I mean, I, I guess most monitors would have powered USB. Right, that's just anyway. a virtue of the USB C port and, and acting the display is acting to the hub, right? Right. Now, what about all of the the USB C accessories for Macs? Do you think we can use those? Uh, you know, they, they add hubs that have more ports and they have card readers and things like that and the ability to char- pass through charge through those kind of things. Um, I'm not sure how the charge through works exactly. I asked a couple of questions to the people there and there were, there were some that we didn't have exact answers to. Um, I you know, even asked about, you know, besides the, they were showing the folio, the, the cover that you can flip it up and either have it sort of at a, an angle that makes sense in your lap or you can put it on your desk. And... When I asked about the other covers, they didn't have anything to say about that. So oh, it's not clear that they have any. I think when the new iPhones came out, they didn't have covers for some of those too, <laughs> or cases right. for, the, for the XR or the 10R. And uh, so there's a couple things that they're still working on or not focused on immediately. But the new iPad Pros look incredible. They're really nice. It kind of reminds me of the iPhone 4. And they had the squared edges and, and just just really nice. But they also have the corners that are rounded that are similar to the iPhone 10. Um, it, it's there's more of a bezel around it, but it has that kind of perfect uh, radius on the corners that just looks beautiful. And it doesn't have a specific orientation, so you can hold it sideways. And, and the Face ID works from any way you're holding it. So whether the camera's at the top or the bottom or right or the left, um, it did a really rapid job of logging in. No matter no matter how you're holding it, you don't have to like hold it in a specific way, which was kind of an issue when the iPhone X first came out. You had to be holding it straight up and down and to get it to unlock. Right. Well, they've had to change their machine learning model to account for the different orientations. Yeah. So there's a lot of effort that was put into that specifically to make it work. And hopefully that will make its way to the iPhones as well. Uh, there, Somebody asked about Macs. With the Mac, they put Touch ID on the uh, the new MacBook Air. And the obvious answer to that is Touch ID is already working on Macs. They, they put it on the Touch Bar Macs. So MacBook Air is kind of like Touch Bar without the, the Touch Bar part. It's just the Touch ID sensor. It has the same security enclave you know, in the, the, the T2 the, chip. The T2 chip kind of architecture. But um, they're not using Face ID on the Mac for a couple reasons. One is they've already done the work on iOS, so it, it would require more work to get it done. 
Secondly, there's not the same um, silicon on Macs that needs to get done. Where they do right. have they do have the, the enclave silicon ready, but the machine learning part they don't have, or the the neural engine. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing you think about is Apple sells something like 200 million iPhones and um, 50 million iPads a year, and Macs are what 20, 20 to 25 million. And of those, um, only a fraction would be MacBook Airs. So, I mean, Apple's, Apple's solutions are going towards what's going to recoup the investment fastest. Well, I but, think I mean, everything also, just requires how it work. You know, you can put it into something. I mean, it's also about use case and, and the environment you use these things in, right? If you're paying at a payment terminal in a shop, Face ID makes tons of sense. If you're sitting at home at your desk, you, you can just as easily put your thumb down and it's fine. Right. Yeah, I mean, Touch ID works pretty well for computers. Um, there are uh, other features related to Face ID and and the the camera that it uses and stuff that may make it to the Mac eventually if, if they drill the price down enough. Um, but yeah, it's it's not as compelling, and it's possible that uh, the same kind of continuity camera that brought taking a picture or taking a scan really simply on your on your phone and, and putting on the Mac, they may make a similar system that takes advantage of the, the advanced phone on your, or the, the advanced camera on your phone, including touch ID or including face ID cameras. I mean, and use that to wirelessly kind of bring those features to the Mac, probably not for login, but, but for, you know, other kind of imaging features and things like that. Um, like an emoji kind of thing, continuity and emoji. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, now that I, <laughs> now that I think about it, it's probably not making it. It's becoming less compelling as I talk. But that's that is a feature that they are bringing to the the Mac or the um, iPad Pro. So the the features for chatting and using your Memoji or Animoji and similar kind of features are now available on the the iPad Pro with um, Face ID because it uses the same camera. It is pretty impressive that Apple just came out with Face ID a year ago. It and doesn't seem like that. It seems it, it seems, seems like, like a longer. long time ago. Yeah, we've been we've been hassling about it for a year now. But um, it came out last year. It's now on all the new phones that they released, and it's on the iPad Pro. So that's that's pretty aggressive rollout of new technology. One of the things Apple is really good at is making those transitions quickly. You know, they they made those transitions really quickly when they moved to, let's say, the Intel processor in 2005, or when they got rid of the 30-pin connector in 2012. It, it, it was basically a nine-month transition, and all the devices were on Lightning. Right. They they are good at doing those things fast. And there's some pains involved in making things like that happen. I mean, that's that was kind of a similar thing when they kind of aggressively decided to go to USB with the iMac back in the day. I mean, that was 20 years ago now, 1998. Uh, which is a very different tack than has always been the case in the PC world where I remember deep into the, you know, 2007 Dell was still including was it PS2 connectors with USB dongles. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, part of that is in the PC world, it just, there's just such a focus on being as inexpensive as possible. And USB was like slightly more expensive. And that was the same reason why there wasn't much, 
there wasn't nearly the uh, support for Firewire on PCs because it was more expensive to implement. And a lot of the technologies that Apple's implementing, including Face ID, weren't, there were things, uh, even before that with Touch ID and, and fingerprint sensors, those are things that other companies just sort of resisted trying to do because they cost too much. They involved extra work and they involved more expensive components that when you have razor thin margins, you can't do cool stuff. And, and the and, PC customer wasn't really interested anyway, right? The the only PC manufacturer I remember shipping FireWire was uh, Sony that shipped it as iLink. Yeah, well, they're shipping it because Sony had a reason to have camcorders linked to computers, so there was a value there. the The real thing was whether or not it wasn't. The reason people want things is because you're telling them they want it, or you're making a, a compelling presentation that yes, this is a valuable feature. So in the PC world, there's less of an effort to say hey, this is in technology that you need and want, and it costs a little bit more, but you're going to want it. When you're in an industry where uh, the main competitive force is how cheap can we make it, you don't have good technology. You don't have this thing pushing to make things better. And that's why Apple is so different is because they're willing to say, hey, we can take this component that is expensive today, whether it's SSD on the you know original MacBook Air, like we're talking about, mm. or whether it was Touch ID or now Face ID. We can take something that's that's too expensive for anybody else to do. And we're going to push it out there by the millions until the price comes down. And we're going to explain to people why it's better. And they're going to pay a little bit more for it. But then they're going to pay to make it inexpensive. And overall, it's going to be a good thing. And, you know, and of course, the other thing, that, that's how Apple stays alive is they have to do that. Yeah. So let me ask, because uh, we're running out of time now. What is the, the biggest takeaway from the event for you? Uh, the biggest takeaway, kind of just the direction that Apple's moving with uh, their hardware. And one of the things that's really been jumping out to me is silicon. Of all the things Apple's doing, one of the one of the most incredible things is their custom silicon. And the, the chips that they're putting in, if you look at the graphics on the, the new iPad Pros, it's incredible. And they're talking about like it's a, you know, the Xbox in the super, you know, 90% yeah. smaller frame. Um, that's incredible. And so it's it's amazing in graphics. It's amazing in uh, machine learning and the neural net stuff that they're putting in it. The fast, just generally fast CPUs. There's a whole bunch of other stuff on the on the chip that the main system on a chip, whether it's the SSD controller or the advanced uh, codex compression, hardware compression of video. All those things they're taking. It's basically software and and making making it run in hardware really fast. And that's just making a lot of things possible that were not possible before. And that's something that other companies are having a hard time competing against because it's hard to commodify that level of new technology. And for, for quite a long time now, we've been seeing smartphones. It used to be that Android smartphones had chips that were you know, at least as good, if, if not better in many respects, than Apple's iPhones. I mean, Apple had other things that were competitive, but there was a time when... Um, it was clear that you know Qualcomm and uh, Texas Instruments and NVIDIA and whoever were at least making the claims that they had a pretty significant lead and that Android was going to take advantage of that or you know the Zoom before that or whatever hardware. And now we're in a, a situation where Apple is dramatically ahead of everyone and keeps moving ahead and is the only company that's selling tremendous numbers of tablets and tremendous numbers of, of phones that you know cost more than $200. And so it's increasingly hard for me to see how someone else is going to 
catch up in phones and tablets, let alone things where silicon is even more important in things like AirPods and Apple Watch and wearables and, you know, the coming glasses and, and things like that, where you have an extreme need for super powerful stuff at a very small package that's very sophisticated. So to me, the that impressive march of silicon, if you look back at the 90s, I mean, the, the, the real thing pushing the advance of PCs was Intel. Intel kept making chips that were every year were just dramatically faster than, than the last year. And that was something that everybody else just couldn't keep up with. Apple wasn't selling enough Macs to have the same kind of economies of scale. And now the thing has turned around to where Apple is making its own silicon and it's selling all the things that make money. And how is anybody else going to rush in and make stuff that is on the same level? So that's that, that to me was kind of like the, the biggest takeaway. But there's a lot of other things. The way that they're... Um, implementing this technology that they're building in silicon is, is also, of course, impressive. Definitely. Well, that, that's all the time we should have today. Uh, we're, we're just running up against the clock here. We're going to be back with our normal podcast on Friday, where we'll talk more about this. Thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate you being available for this. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we should say, if, if people have any questions about the new products, um, the things we can send to Apple and get answers. So if you have any questions, let us know. Yeah, and contact us at uh, news at appleinsider.com or go ahead and reach out to me, victor at appleinsider.com, and we'll get those questions asked. All right, we'll be back on Friday. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>